This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Center, Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield is the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. The first Thursday of each month is an all-pet day on Creature Comfort. So we prop the doors to our pet hospital wide open, and we're welcoming all pet questions from the big to the small. Do you have a cat or dog at home? Maybe you've got both. Do you have a question about getting an exotic pet like a rabbit, snake, or ferret? Don't hesitate to join your conversation this morning with your phone call or email. Also, if you have any general wildlife experiences you'd like to share, call in. We'd like to hear those as well. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And we'd like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday mornings, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So let's start uh, with Libby, as we usually do each Thursday. Good morning, Libby. What are you seeing around your yard these days? Hey, Kevin. Well, a lot of it's what I'm hearing, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Frogs again this week, lots of frogs, spring peepers, leopard frogs, coarse frogs, all pretty much together at times and then separate. And anyway, it's been a lot of fun to hear all the frogs coming back. I think everybody was pleased to have rain in Mississippi for these last few weeks. And um, our pond is full and the frogs are all happy. So, uh, But at the same time, I hear the chainsaw going. Paul's been cutting the pine trees that died during the drought. So I know a lot of people are going through that as well. But uh, while you're um, taking care of what, what needs to be taken care of in the yard, spend a little time looking for the birds and the frogs and uh, the early, I've not seen any of my early um, satyrs and butterflies, but this is about time to start watching for them. So um, I've got some reminders on my calendar to start looking for those things going on. Uh, I've saw, I've seen a Phoebe in the backyard, a Phoebe bird. They're here year round, and uh, but he started tending. I think it's he because usually the male kind of gets the nest ready. They um, nest in um, sort of a, almost a a mud dauber looking kind of a a nest. And um, we've got one that's been working on the nest and alternately perching right outside my studio door. So I'm watching it this morning even. Oh, and I also have some messages Nicole Smith sent an email from the Museum of Natural Science here in Jackson this morning reminding people that Arbor Day is coming up February the 9th, so a week from tomorrow. That's on a Friday. Uh, It's called STEM, Leaves and Trees, and there's a hardwood tree giveaway, cherry bark oak and nut all oak, I think, particularly. And uh, she's reminding teachers that they need to make their reservations if they want to bring kids or if anybody wants to bring homeschoolers. It's a good idea to go ahead and make a reservation, but you don't have to have one. You can just show up next Friday morning from 9 to 12, 
and um, all kinds of activities having to do with trees. And this coming Saturday, February the 3rd, so that's day after tomorrow, there are two bird walks. Um, I'll be on one at LaFleur's Bluff State Park with um, Jackson Audubon, the sponsor in that walk. And it starts at 8 o'clock at LaFleur's Bluff on the Mays Lake entrance. And then um, Jeffrey Harris is leading a walk for um, Octibiha Audubon, the Sam Hamilton Noxabee National Forest, also on February the 3rd at 8 o'clock. The birding activities and all the outdoor activities are gearing up, and I'm hoping that the weather will be moderate for us so that we can all enjoy the outdoors a little bit more in February than in January. So I think it was on All Things Considered the other day, but I heard an interesting story about uh, they've discovered that they can use spider webs to gather uh, DNA from uh, animals. And so the the story was that sometimes when biologists have to take samples and things, it kind of spooks the animals. And they discovered uh, that um, that the spider webs catch the sort of stray DNA that's in the air. Uh, and it was an interesting story to see that how that might make, uh, you know, uh, gathering that information a little less strenuous on, on the animals that are out in the wild. So uh, anyone that's interested in that, I'd like to say, I think if you were to search the NPR uh, website, you could probably pull that story up. But it was pretty interesting uh, report, I thought. I heard that, too. I thought that was really cool because, you know, we've been talking we've talked before on the show about how um, scientists have gotten pretty good at gathering DNA from water so they can tell what's in the water without having to always catch the specimen. Remember, um, our guest, was em- Emily, was telling us about they were using that for the, those rare salamanders mm-hmm. that are hard to find. So that's pretty cool that you can detect the presence of something without any of those familiar signs that we're used to have to look for. Oh, there was also, did you hear the one about moths to a flame? Um, NPR was talking about some research with moths. People have never really known why insects in general, but moths particularly, and not all moths are attracted to light, but many moths are attracted to light. But they found a, a strange thing. You know, um, around a campfire particularly or a a night light, you can see moths flying real erratically. Mm -hmm. And it's very strange, twisting and turning. Well, it turns out that's really not a good thing for them. Moths have evolved, of course. Most of their time on Earth has been spent without any human lights. So uh, they don't really know what to make of that still. It's just, I guess, a few, what, 100 years that we've had a lot of street lights, But mm-hmm. probably the last 40, 50 years, we've had so much more light outdoors. Well, they try to always position light above them. That's their way. You know, they're kind of like a fighter pilot. They're flying fast when they're after some prey or they're avoiding a predator, whatever they're doing. And they need that constant reminder that the light is above them. So they automatically orient their back to the light. Well, when you've got a a, tr- uh, a, a light on your porch or a street light, they don't know what to make of that. And it's almost like vertigo. They keep trying to get their back to the light. But, of course, then they can pretty quickly realize that they're 
no longer flying um, horizontal to the ground. So mm-hmm. it's a real problem for them. That's but we still don't know. Yeah. We still don't know why they fly to the light. You know, Libby each week uh, tells what she's seeing in her yard. We'd like to hear what you're seeing when you're out and about, maybe in your yard or if you go on a nature hike or a walk in a local park. What are you seeing uh, when you're out this time of year in Mississippi? Uh, As I mentioned, Dr. Major's with us uh, on the line from his uh, clinic in Jackson. Uh, So good morning, Dr. Major. You know, we talk in the opening about exotic pets like rabbits, snakes, and ferrets. Uh, Off the top of your head, can you think of maybe some unusual critters that have come your way through the clinic? Certainly. Uh, You know, there's a whole host of things that could be considered to be unusual little hedgehog-type animals there. They are pets for some people, and uh, they're really unique uh, in their ability to curl up and be real quickly. Uh, And those of you who know about hedgehogs, they, they make a pretty pretty good pet. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody, though. Anytime you get into an exotic pet, you really, really need to do your research and know what you're getting into because uh, it's, it's really a shame to have someone get a, you know, spend the money and get everything for a pet uh, that's exotic, whatever you would say exotic, and uh, then not take care of it properly. And that's, that's what I would recommend is plenty of research. As far as others that I've seen, you know, that would be uh, considered, uh, Libby, I know that we've talked about uh, native wild animals here. Uh, It's not considered, it's basically against the law to have uh, wild animals that are are here, uh, such as squirrels, raccoons, uh, fox, all of those. Uh, So those can all be uh, something you shouldn't have. So uh, I've seen a fair number of skunks as pets over the years, but the popularity <laughs> has, has declined. And certainly uh, these animals, if you get a skunk, people don't realize that they're primarily nocturnal, hmm. and they'll keep you up all night uh, for certain. That's when they do their main uh, investigation for food and everything. One thing about the uh, moths, Libby, uh, that I've seen over the years I'd say in the last two to three decades, uh, the number of moths uh, has declined uh, drastically. And uh, back when my kids were in, in school, they had to collect, I may have told this tale before, collect insects and uh, moths and butterflies. But moths at night used to be that you could go by a uh, service station at night, uh, the lights there. Uh, the bank uh, buildings where they would have lights on at night, uh, and you would find all kind of uh, moths. And I've, several things, I think probably the light, like you say, has endangered those to a certain extent, plus the habitat destruction. But also the birds loved it because they would have a patrol in the mornings and go uh, feast on these moths that had come and other insects that had come because of the light. So that's kind of an aside. Almost like an all-you-can-eat yeah. buffet. Right. <laughs> yeah, Certainly. I think that is an alarming fact that there's so few moths compared to what there were even 30 years ago. That's, uh, that's exactly right. 
You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield. Today we're taking your pet questions and talking about any encounters with natures that you've had recently. You can always send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Dr. Major, when I was in your clinic, I've, you know, you waiting. There certainly are a number of dogs, but uh, several cats as well. So let's talk uh, just for just a few minutes about uh, cats and uh, bringing them to the vet. First of all, I guess there are certain challenges to a cat, i.e. claws and maybe the ability to run quite quickly. (laughs) Well, I certainly recommend uh, with any cat that comes in uh, to have it in a carrier, a hard-sided carrier. Several reasons for that. One, just bringing it to the clinic itself. Uh, If the cat should freak out or escape, uh, it certainly could cause a hazard to driving. But uh, if you don't have a carrier, uh, please come to the inside the clinic and ask for one because if a cat gets out, they usually uh, really become quite alarmed and they may run to the nearest woods or whatever that they can find. So, and of course, the downside would be to run out in, into the street and get run over. So that's, that's important. Now, cats, in general, our cats are very very good here when they come to the clinic. On the other hand, there's some cats that are either feral or just really don't want to be around anybody else. And you have to handle those with care. And usually if you're quiet and uh, just gentle with them, uh, usually it's not an issue. But you're right. They have some pretty good claws. (laughs) And, of course, sometimes uh, they can get those fangs out. Some of the cats have some pretty, pretty good teeth. So those are things that uh, certainly uh, try to keep as calm as possible. And uh, we do use, uh, for some cats, uh, a little pre-visit tranquilizer. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, One of the things that's used is gabapentin, small dosage of that does seem to take the edge off of some of the cats when they come into the clinic. Uh, as we're talking about cats, it reminded me of uh, the other day I pulled up in my driveway and there was, uh, I guess, one of the neighborhood outdoor cats kind of sitting in a in a rocking chair I have there. And, well, of course, when I pulled up, he kind of spooked and ran, but then he ran around the corner into the backyard and there were like, I want to say, six stray cats, feral cats, neighborhood cats, but they all just like scattered through the backyard and, you know, into the neighbor's yard. And it was, I thought it was a little bit unusual because uh, Dr. Major, is it typical for cats sort of unknown to each other like that to kind of hang out in, in a gang or whatever it was they were doing. <laughs> That's true. There must have been some reason, uh, not knowing the sex of the cats. Uh, there could have been a female in season, could have attracted male cats. Uh, but that is unusual to see that many cats uh, in a group uh, to have a caucus, if you will, of cats. Uh, I guess that's what you could call that. Cats usually are fairly solitary when they're out and about. I'm talking about the outside cats that are considered to be feral. Uh, They have their own pattern every day just about. Uh, People study this, that they go uh, from house to house or a field. They go the same same route just about every day, and sometimes that overlaps. Uh, at night, if they have a communal group, sometimes you'll see uh, feral cats or cats that are outdoors. They may get together in a certain area at night, such as a barn, under a house, or something like that for protection. But that was unusual. I'm surprised that you saw that many cats uh, 
you didn't have any sardines or anything like that outside, did you? <laughs> but you're right. It was funny because the one cab was there, and then when he turned the corner, it just, he sparked it in like, and I was like, wow, I've never seen that many. So it was interesting because then well, maybe he was maybe he was the assigned lookout. I don't, I don't know what the deal was. There. He was the advanced scout to warn of impending trouble. Right. <laughs> the other funny thing was, it's the one little cat I believe is the neighbor's cat across the street, and likes my house for whatever reason uh and the other day the uh the owner was out there and he, she was like come on back over here and i'm thinking to myself that cat ain't gonna pay attention to you he'll come <laughs> back over there when he wants to <laughs> that's true that's true so uh our producer abram found that a pet md in 2014 had a list of questions that people should ask their veterinarian about so 10 years later we want to see that a lot of these things are still relevant so the first one, Dr. Major, is, is my pet a healthy weight? Obesity can be a problem for, I guess, maybe dogs and cats. And so this is something maybe as a pet owner, you can see that your pet might be getting a little chubby or whatever. When it comes to weight and overweight, uh, when is a concern and when do you think you need to bring your vet in to help control your pet's weight? It's a great question. And there are a lot of our pets are overweight. Uh, a lot of times it's because we leave full food bowl and uh, if it looks like it's empty because it's a great cartoon that uh, the cats are sitting there at the food bowl and there's some food in the bowl but they can see the bottom and they're saying are you trying to starve us <laughs> and uh, that's that's kind of the, the secret there is that you need to kind of be aware of how much food your dog or cat is eating and a lot of times you have to go by the uh, the food that you're feeding so you'll know whether it's one cup a day, one and a half cups a day, or in a dog's case, uh, depending on the size, it may take two to three cups twice a day. I recommend in, in my house feeding your your dogs twice a day. I think that's a good good idea. It's, it sets a pattern, and you can watch and see. Now, normally if you bring a cat or a dog in the clinic, especially a dog, You'd like to be able to feel the very top of its backbone, and you'd like to be able to feel the ribs without having to poke in through a bunch of fat. So if you grade it from 1 to 10, uh, the experts say somewhere around a 5 or 6. And that dog, to me, looks a little bit lean, and the same thing is true of the cat. Uh, Things that we have to watch for are sudden weight loss or sudden weight gain. There may be a reason, such as thyroid issues, uh, kidney disease, those sort of things. So anytime you have a change in weight on your cat or dog, certainly you need to talk to your vet about that. There are foods that are excellent for weight reduction if you follow the, follow the directions, and uh, certainly that would be. Treats are a big deal for dogs. Uh, they love treats. We love to see the response about treats, but sometimes we overdo treats. So be aware that you can give too many treats. Uh, certainly that can be a, an issue. Uh, cats, on the other hand, I know you've seen the uh, ad where the cat's jumping up to the second floor uh, <laughs> after temptations, uh, and some people feed maybe too many of those. But the cats love them. I think it's got some kind of either cat nip or kitty crack, something like that in it that it really turns the cats on. Uh, so you can look at, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to look at a dog or a cat and tell if it's overweight. 
Uh, talk to your vet if you suspect an overweight problem. As I said, one of the thing, key things, though, if there's a sudden gain of weight or a sudden loss of weight, it certainly could be a problem. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're going over a list of questions that you should ask your vet about your pet and getting some feedback from Dr. Major on that. You can email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. So as we're talking about weight and healthy weight for pets uh, as sort of a tangent, and we've mentioned this on the air uh, in the past, uh, appropriate food. I mean, you know, I think when when it comes to pet food, there's kind of a wide range of certainly price variety, some real cheap ones, but then it gets into the sort of more science diet and, and the and the ones that are a little bit more expensive. So, what are your recommendations on trying to pick out a, f- a food that's appropriate for your pet? You know, you need to consult with your veterinarian or the people where you get your food. Uh, some of this, uh, some of the foods, you know, are quite expensive. We're talking about ten, twelve dollars a pound. Which is which is probably more expensive than some of us eat, you know, food. So I'm just saying that that's certainly a um, a key. And the old thing of you pay for what you know what you get is not necessarily true. A lot of this is hype, and there's been a big move uh, lately in the prepared foods that look like uh, our food uh, and the foods that are refrigerated. I'm opposed to feeding raw food. I don't think that, in most cases, for most people, works. Uh, some people can do it, but uh, in most cases, it's been kind of a fad that's gone away for a while now, so I hope it stays gone away. But a lot of things that has to do with food, if you're feeding a particular food, I'm not going to name brands, but if you're feeding a particular food, your dog is healthy, active, and uh, hair coat, everything looks good, I'd stick with that food. But we, we're very prone to listen to advertisements. How many different foods are there now? There's so many, and they have quite good advertising. They know the buttons to push for the pet owner uh, and say, hey, we probably ought to try this food. And a lot of times to get into trouble <coughs> excuse me, with, with food simply because we jump from food to food, thinking that it's a cure-all maybe for skin, or for some other condition. So I'd say if you have a food, your animal looks good, doing good, bowel movements are, are good, no vomiting, hair coat looks good, I'd stick with that food. Yeah, I, mean, I think a cats are especially known to be very finicky, and I always worried about that. It was like if I found a, a cat or a, a type of food for my cat that he liked and was good for him, that was like I'm not going to screw around with that because you know then he might not like the next bag of cat food I bring home or whatever. So if you got something and it, and your pet's in good shape, just keep uh, keep up with it. Well, remember this about cats, and it's not a joke, really. You think you know your cat, and then you come home one day, and it's just like a totally different cat. It doesn't want that food anymore. Uh, it may may be very friendly or something like that, or it may be aloof. You know, cats change their personalities, in my opinion, but hopefully not for the bad. But um, you're right. They are kind of picky. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. It's an all-pet day, so we're looking for your pet questions. Um, so, Dr. Major, we had someone who left a question, couldn't stay on the line, but they were wondering uh, what is the usual age or appropriate age for a female dog to have uh, a first litter of puppies? That's a 
great question, and uh, certainly anytime you have someone trying to uh, produce a litter of puppies, you need to be very aware of all the things that are involved. My recommendation is I'd like to wait until the second season, in other words, the second time that she is in estrus or heat, uh, not the first time. Usually, which that would be somewhere in the six, seven months of age. And then about six months later than that for the second time. So I would, it depends on the size of the dog and all the different things that might enter in with the size of, you know, what the breed size is. But I would say certainly the second or third uh, time that she comes in season. All right. We have got a caller on the line. So we say good morning to Gabriel, who's calling in from Ellisville. You're on the air with us. So go ahead with your question. Uh, I got a, a half weaned dog, half mud. I don't really know what what else he's bred with. He was a rescue. Uh, he uh, when I try to put a leash on him to take him outside to, to use bathroom when we're traveling, he just won't have it. He'll lay down flat, and I can't do nothing with him. And I'm not going to drag him around. So I don't know what else to do with him but let him run free. And I, and I get worried about him getting hit when he does that. So, well, how old is he? He was. I've had him three years, and I guess he was probably okay. a year and a half when I got him. So he's never really learned uh, to walk on a leash. What I've done in the past, and it may be a little difficult with, uh, you know, a dog that's old, would put the leash on him. Let him. He's an inside dog, right? So yes, let him let him drag it around the house uh, and get uh, a little bit more used to the leash, maybe. And then, does he like to go outside? Oh, he loves it. Right. I'm just saying, so if you've got the leash, you can kind of just let him lead you, let him go first and go outside and just kind of go with it like that. That may work. Uh, It may be psychologically. I've had a dog that did the same thing. Of course, he's passed away now. But if you put a leash on him, he would just lay flat. And... uh, he was in a situation where I didn't have to worry about him, you know, running off or getting in the street or anything like that. So I didn't pursue it. But I have in the past had some people who have had some success with leaving that, just leaving the leash on as long as he doesn't get tangled up in the furniture or stuff like that. And then say, hey, let's go outside, which usually they get excited about that, and just walk behind him and let him go on out and you go with him, okay? Okay, that's that sounds good. Thank please. you. Take care. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Gabriel, thanks for your call. So we're going through a list from PetMD, the questions that you should ask your vet about. So next on the list, Dr. Major, the question is, is this specific behavior normal? So again, you you know, we live with our pets every day, so we kind of know what their behaviors are. Um, When should you be concerned about maybe some unusual habit or thing that your pet is starting to do? That's a wide-open question because it could be many, many, many different things depending on the animal. Uh, certainly, you should talk to your vet or uh, get some advice. But uh, let's say, for example, that the dog has become destructive or has become a uh, separation anxiety type situation where it uh, had not been in the past. So there may be some retraining to do, maybe some crate training. And maybe even some medication if it's gotten too too much out of hand. So that would be one example. Uh, another example would be, um, 
let's say that all of a sudden the dog starts, dog or cat starts urinating inappropriately around the house, that would make me think of maybe a medical problem uh, that should be checked out. So there's a whole host of questions that you could ask as far as uh, changes in behavior, but uh, a lot of times it's good to discuss that with your vet, and uh, hopefully you can come up with a good good answer. And I would imagine maybe like humans, pets have a bad day every once in a while, so if something unusual happens, maybe track it, and if it's a persistent thing, uh, that would be the time to, to call your vet. And again, as you suggested, kind of give them specific information about what it is that the pet is doing, and that they'll that will give them the information to give you a better answer of what it might be and what the what uh, might treatment might be. Right, I've seen some some dogs, especially that have uh, had some changes in their ability to tolerate loud sounds. Uh, maybe a dog who gets to be four, five, six years old, all of a sudden, thunderstorms and um, fireworks, this sort of thing, certainly can cause the dog to to have some issues. And uh, these are things that you should discuss with your pet. Uh, next on the list is, is my pet up to date on shots? So having uh, at least an annual visit with your vet for your pet uh, should keep you up to date on, on what shots are needed, I would guess. That's true. And uh, certainly some of the shots may be thought about is what is the risk that the animal has? And a lot of people don't want to overdo the shots, but certainly there's, uh, for dogs and for cats, there's some shots that should be done. And an annual visit is very important. Uh, sometimes as they get older, maybe a semi-annual visit. Uh, one of the things that we see a lot in uh, dogs and cats that are getting in the six, seven-year-old range is some dental problems. Uh, you don't have to just necessarily open your mouth and look, but you, a lot of times you can smell if it's a dental problem. You can smell it from a distance almost. Tooth decay, uh, gum disease, all of those can be a problem, and that can uh, contribute to kidney issues, kidney problems, heart disease, and certainly would be one of the things you need to discuss with your veterinarian. And I would say that a large percentage of uh, Dogs and cats in that six- to eight-year range are beginning to need some dental care. Always good to mention that to your vet, though, when you're in for an annual visit. So your your psychic, Dr. Major, because that's the next one on the list, is about dental cleaning. Is that something that you can do for, for folks' pets at the clinic is to, to do the dental cleaning? Yes. And it's, it's, it's one of the things that's very important. There are some chews and things like that can certainly uh, help prophylactically without having to go through the cleaning process. But gum disease really is the big issue here. And uh, it causes recession, uh, gum to recede and exposes the root of the tooth, which certainly can become, uh, I hate to use the word rotten, but infected. And uh, you get a lot of tartar and scale built up on a lot of the teeth. So, yes, always have your vet examine the teeth of your dog and cat when you're in for an exam. I think this is usually, February is usually uh, kind of promoted as a dental month, uh, but it's always good anytime your pet is in, you know, your vet to look at the mouth, look at the teeth, and the teeth are a real reflection, in my opinion, of the overall health of the animal.
This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Dr. Troy Major, our veterinarian, and it's an all-pet day. So if you have a question, email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. So next on the list, it talks about a blood test. So Dr. Major, is that important, and, and what? Uh, why is it important? Certainly is. Uh, animals age, whether it's a dog or a cat, uh, a good baseline would help us understand if there's any issues beginning to show up with kidneys, liver, uh, pancreas, uh, blood glucose, all these things. Certainly you should know uh, exactly where your pet is. I would not suggest that necessarily on all uh, ages, but certainly as, as, as our pets get older, uh, there are some routine tests that should be done, heartworm tests for dogs, uh, heartworm preventive, obviously, and just to be sure that everything is good there. Uh, cats, uh, anytime you have a new cat, a cat, especially a feral cat, something or some, let's say your neighbor had a litter of cats under the house or wherever, and those kittens probably at the appropriate age, which usually would be around 10, 12 weeks of age at least, uh, should be tested for leukemia and feline uh, immunodeficiency virus. So there are some tests that should be done, uh, blood tests. So, Dr. Major, you mentioned kennel cough, which uh, happens when uh, dogs are boarded and are congregating together. Is there anything similar to that uh, when cats are boarded? Wow, <laughs> that's interesting. A kennel cough, of course, is a broad term, and it can be uh, a lot of times just because a dog is coughing doesn't mean it has kennel cough. It could be many other things. Uh, this time of year, we see a lot of uh, pharyngitis, dogs coughing, and they have not been exposed to other dogs. But, yes, kennel cough is a real thing. Uh, cats uh, have to be careful with cats. You don't want to co-mingle them uh, in a boarding situation or hospitalized situation. Uh, there are some upper respiratory uh, uh, diseases which are quite communicable and uh, certainly can, can be spread from one, one cat to another. Oh, do you see many cats? I mean, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, dogs seem to want, need more care when the owner is away. A lot of times an owner of a cat can get someone to come over and feed it a couple of times while they're gone. Do you see a lot of cats being boarded? Not a lot. Uh, I agree with you that most cats do quite well if somebody's checking on them and making sure that food bowl is full, I guess. <laughs> but uh, uh, I would say that they do need care. And we do board some cats here for our regular clients and, you know, try to maintain as calm a situation as we can. Actually, when you think about it, the cat probably likes that because it's like, hey, I've got the run of the house now. Someone's coming by to make sure my food bowl is, uh, my feet, food bowl is full. Uh, so that sounds like that might uh, actually them look forward to you leaving. <laughs> Inter- interesting thing, you know, people that have cameras where they can watch wherever their animals are while they're gone. Cats do some weird things. You know, they, they patrol the house. I don't know what they're looking for necessarily, but uh, they patrol the house, and they do it many times. They don't just uh, lay around all day. They love to lay in the sun. So my cats will get uh, around the biggest window they can find with the sun shining through and just be laid out like they're dead, <laughs> um, enjoying, enjoying the sunshine. 
But yes, uh, I think cats do quite well rather than uh, having them boarded somewhere. We have been uh, going through a list from PetMD from 2014 about questions to ask your veterinarian and kind of getting Dr. Major's take on a lot of these. And Dr. Major, this is a question that we get a lot on the show here. Um, what flea or tick medications would you recommend, and is it a case of whatever seems to work the best? Very interesting. I know back 100 years ago, maybe not quite that long, you know, the first uh, flea control medications that came out were just basically pheromones, not pheromones, but anyway, they prevented the larva from uh, developing, and that was it. Uh, you know, veterinarians in the past... Uh, one of the things that uh, we used was uh, some dips and things like that. And, it, you know, when I say dips, I'm talking about something that insecticide that you put on the dog. Uh, had to be very careful with cats. You usually didn't do that for cats. But uh, there were some downsides from that. But now there are a whole host of different products. Uh, I won't name them all. Most people are familiar with Frontline. Uh, they're familiar with... Uh, I mean, I just could just keep going on and on uh, with those, Sentinel, uh, uh, Provecto. It's just, again, I won't try to advertise any of them, but there are some good ones and whatever works for you. One of the interesting things uh, that I remember uh, from a study, uh, there is one uh, medication called Capstar, which you can give, and it will kill the fleas within, I think it starts killing them within 15 but it only lasts about a day. And uh, they did a study, I believe it was in Australia and uh, in a very flea-prone area, and they gave that once a week uh, to households in an experiment. And by giving it once a week, they were killing the fleas off that were on the animal, but they almost totally eliminated the uh, flea population in those houses. It's an interesting study. Whatever works for you, though, if you're happy with the different uh, different types of flea control that you're using, uh, there are some combination heartworm, flea, and intestinal worm uh, medications as well. So um, whatever works for you and is most appropriate. Um, one thing that you taught me when I had my cat was that even though your cat is an indoor cat and does not go outside, they still should have some sort of flea control because, as you mentioned uh, when we talked about it, that uh, if we're out and about, somehow a flea or something might jump up on us and we might track it in inadvertently. Or even just, you know, the maybe the micro cracks in a door, you know, if there's just a tiny little space that, that, that the flea still might be able to get into the house. So flea control, important for pets, whether they're inside or outside. Be aware that when you're seeing fleas on your cat, uh, they had to come from somewhere. And uh, I can envision, you know, at night, a uh, cat coming and sitting on your porch, scratching off some fleas, and certainly they could come under that door uh, and could come in on your uh, shoes or uh, pants leg, for example. But be aware that there are things that you can use for our cats and uh would take care of the situation. But uh, you're right. They can come in from somewhere. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I found uh, I don't remember the brand, but I bought it at one of the at the pet stores as uh, a spray, and so I would, uh, on your suggestion, kind of spray it around the the entrance to the doors, and then along kind of baseboards and that sort of thing, where we where possibly they would congregate once once they get in the house. Right. Always be aware of what you're using in the spray type thing that it's safe for cats and dogs. If you're spraying, trying to prevent, and that's that's important. All right, so going to put you on the spot here a little bit. And by the way, I, I so appreciate Dr. Major. He came on the show this morning, and I have thrown all these questions out to him, and he does not bat an eyelash. He gives us great information. He's always willing to take your pet questions. So uh, we always do have for many of these many years, Dr. Major, and certainly do appreciate you helping us out, especially on this all-pet day. So let me put you on the oh, spot, you're though. welcome. <laughs> what, what would you say um, is – the thing pet owners neglect the most when it comes to caring for our pets? Mm. Great question, and that could take a lot of different directions. I really believe the teeth are one of the things that are neglected the most, uh, and usually uh, it comes to your attention when you start to, the dog kisses you or whatever. You know, a lot of people have a dog lick lick them, maybe not on the face, but still, and you can smell that odor, and by then, it's already gotten to be a fairly serious problem. Uh, there are some of the smaller breeds that uh, have dental problems at earlier ages than the, the larger breeds, uh, such as Yorkies and Chihuahuas. So always be aware, and it is one of the things I think is neglected until there is a problem. All right. That's- um, and so one final question then is, uh, again, if you see something in your pet, uh, I guess it has to be something that maybe is not just a, a one-off thing, but it's something that maybe that it, a couple of days, a week, that you, you should then begin to think about taking your, your pet in to, and have the vet help you figure out what might be going on. Right. Uh, maybe uh, some accidental urination, uh, a dog or a cat that never urinates in the house. If it starts spotting around the house uh, several times and it goes over a period of a day or two, yes, there's something going on there. Same thing would be with uh, a lot of people don't watch their dog have a bowel movement, but outside if you notice diarrhea uh, and it continued, uh, certainly time to have that checked out. So those are things like that. Uh, uh, Occasionally a cat will throw up a hairball. But if they're throwing up several times a week, that might be a little bit excessive. So those are things that you need to kind of think about. Hey, there may be a problem here. That will wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org or, again, download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Our show was produced and engineered by Abram Nanny, and our call screener today was Charles Arnold. So for Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next it's AutoCorrect with Coach Charlie Melton. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.